looking for coverage of the next chapter of Star Wars on Disney Plus? Let's open up a book, the book of Boba Fett, that is. And we're covering all things Boba Fett here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. Mike Bloom here, crawling out of the Sarlacc pit that was this past week of holidays to embrace fully the book of Boba Fett. It is here. It has debuted a first episode providing many surprises, and I'm sure many more to come. And I'm here with an illustrious panel to break it all down. Much as Boba Fett is trying to amass allies, I'm already uh, very, you know, uh, privileged in that I get the ability to already surround myself with guards. I don't need to bribe them or spare them from execution or anything. At least I hope not. Uh, Let me bring in the panel to break down this Boba Fett premiere. First, you heard him last week, but I'm thrilled to have him by my side once more. The great Rich Filberto, DM Philly, R Philly, whatever you want to call him. Here he is. How you doing, man? I'm so good, Mike. It's convenient that you got that flamethrower for the holidays to burn your way out of the Sarlacc pit. I'm glad to be here. I'm psyched. Boba Fett, man. It's here. Yeah, absolutely. And please, I'm glad you did not point out the notorious scarring I have all over my body from the flamethrowers. That's why, listen, it's hoverboards and flamethrowers do not give people for holiday gifts because nobody knows how to operate it. Yeah, I didn't want to make you feel too sensitive about it, but you look good with the armor on. Yeah, it's it's like uh, my own reflection in your T-visor there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Then that's what I mean to do. Uh, make people think more about themselves than they do about my hideous <laughs> deformities. Let's talk about someone who I am so thrilled to bring in for this coverage. Uh, a brand new face to the Book of Boba Fett recap, but certainly not to Star Wars coverage. Of course, you heard her fantastic coverage of The Mandalorian Season 2 alongside Josh Wegler and Kevin Mahadeo, the premiere of which also opened on Tatooine. So it's familiar territory for her. We are so thrilled to welcome back Latanya Starks to Star Wars coverage. Latanya, how you doing? Hi, Mike. I'm doing great. Um, you know, just like keeping my voice in check because that's been a thing. We did like a three-hour Insecure podcast. Um, so that happened. And now my voice is kind of back. So I'm excited to be back with the two of you talking about the Book of Boba Fett, which should be a really exciting show. I don't even know what to expect from this show but if if you need to go into your little like uh fish tank to go recuperate some of your (laughs) your vocal damage like feel free to do that as well uh i know that if if you want to take some time in between podcasts and do so i think that's going to get you right back up to normal that's basically what people don't know about me is that when i'm not podcasting i'm just in a back to tank of some sort recuperating yep yep uh, get me the contact information, LT. I could use a back to tank of my own. I think these days. Yeah, I'll get, we, well, I'll no, get we, George on the horn. Exactly. We have the podcast to tank actually, which Josh is supplying <laughs> behind the scenes. It's what we we all do, we just recuperate. I've been in there for like the good half week after we did the eight hour loss finale. So like we use it well, uh, and so we're back up to just take on whatever and whomever here, much like Boba Fett proper. So before we get into specifics, because there is some stuff to get into with this episode, let's just go around the horn here and talk about our overall thoughts on the premiere of Boba Fett. As Rich and I spoke about last week, there was not a lot to go off of. Uh, Just guesses, speculation, and scant glances at footage, most of which was used in this first episode. Uh, And so really when we had that post credit scene at the end of Mando Season 2, it really led us to wonder why is Boba Fett back at Tatooine? What the hell is he doing? Latanya, I'll go to you first because we didn't uh, get to hear sort of like your opinions going into the show. Mm-hmm. But what was your expectation going into whatever information you had about the book of Boba Fett? And I guess by comparison, 
what do you think about what we've actually been delivered so far compared to set expectations? Yeah, I mean, much like the character of Boba Fett himself, there was not much to go on. <laughs> um, we were all just kind of like, you know, surviving on vibes with him, really, um, which I'm fine with. Um, I I think that I was kind of, with this show, looking forward to a two-hander kind of like, um, you know, sheriff and like co-sheriff. I don't know what mm. uh, that terminology is. Um, in the Old West, kind of like, you know, trying to take over this town and maybe rule it with like a gentler fist than it's been ru- ruled with in the past. Um, and so that, like, at least in philosophy, um, definitely came through in this episode. We got some good... Um, like flashback scenes because we are there's just no not no but there's so little backstory that we have about the character of Boba Fett um and even less that we have about Fennec Shan so like you know I'm excited to kind of go down this road and like see some of the things that happened I would say if I had one complaint about the episode is that it needs more sand (laughs) Tanya sand is rough and it's coarse and it gets everywhere (laughs) But apparently not everywhere in this episode, according to you. No, apparently not. No, I need more sand. I, I need more sand monsters, um, mm. more water that apparently comes from the sand. Um, just like more sand in general. I don't know. Rich, uh, you're a Dune fan. Are you sanded out at this point in 2021? No, can never get enough sand. Uh, I love sand. I'm I'm from Long Island, you know. I was born on the sand dunes of of uh, downstate New York. I I could agree with LT. More sand, please. I, w- I, I would say the creatures the... that come out of the Long Island Sound are often comparable to the ones coming out of the sand that we oh, saw in the first episode. <laughs> they're worse, Mike. They're worse. Take it from me. I loved. Uh, I loved. I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but I love Boba Fett like baptized in sand, dragging himself across the sand. I thought the sand was used like very effectively and evocatively in this episode i'm pro sand mike well then so that being said again rich you and i sort of parsed through our very limited thoughts on what we thought boba fett was Mm -hmm. going to be compared to what we had sort of mapped out it was obviously a surprise and we'll certainly get into those zigs where we thought it was going to zag later on but what are your overall thoughts on the start of chapter one quite literally of the book of boba fett so I really dug it. I thought like it evoked big like Mandalorian vibes of like that first episode of season one, especially like we're just kind of getting our feet wet. We're getting like a little perspective on the world. I thought there was some fun like mirroring happening between the storylines. I love like digging into the Tuscan Raiders stuff. Um, and and I thought they used like callbacks to all the beloved like old school Star Wars of it all, like pretty effectively, right? Like you and I talked a little bit last week, Mike, about did we want to see the inside of the sarlacc pit and we were both kind of like ah, better left to imagination perhaps mm. but i thought that was like super cool uh i dug it i'm really happy right went by too quickly but it was a fun episode yeah what i would say overall about the premiere is uh, a term that i would hopefully think people would use to describe me which is slim but interesting oh yeah uh, is how i would describe <laughs> the premiere is that it's wild i mean without that brilliant uh, end credit sequence i'm so happy they kept the the concept art over the end credits that they did from the mandalorian oh god no yeah joke. it's so beautiful but outside of that it was like a 35 minute episode mm-hmm. uh, and that's not something that i'm used to albeit on disney plus or just anything in television nowadays i'm expecting like 42 minutes plus so it did leave me wanting more from that perspective but that's a good thing 
Uh, I, I don't necessarily feel like there was too little covered in this episode. I think it was one of those things where I was just enjoying myself and intrigued by a lot of things so that by the time it got to that end point, I thought, oh, okay, all right, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm ready to move on to the next time. I do wonder, you know, maybe we'll look back on this next week and say, could they have pulled a Hawkeye and done like a two-part premiere and done like mm -hmm. episodes one and two back to back? Because I do think this was a really good setup episode slash setting up like, here's where we are. Here's the situation while also hinting at, you know, uh, Boba's apparently illustrious history on Tatooine. Uh, though I would say in terms of where we're going, that is probably where, once again, information is more scant. I wonder if that's going to get built out more. Speaking of setup, let me throw out some things also at the top of this podcast before we get too into the sand or the weeds with the book of Boba Fett. Of course, as we are bringing back this podcast on the Star Wars Long Time to Go feed, we would appreciate your support and feedback. Uh, we are recording these, you know, fairly close to when the episodes release. We're talking about these on Wednesday afternoons. They are released on Wednesday mornings. Let me also ask you, Rich, by the way, we didn't speak about this last week. Uh, because I believe between Mando season two and now Disney plus decided to change their strategy from releases on Fridays to releases on Wednesdays. Do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I was thinking about it after we talked about it last week and it makes more sense, right? As we're in this like new era with all these like kind of big streaming systems. Now it's not just Netflix in the game anymore, right? There's so many, I won't even try to name them all, but I think that dropping this stuff, clearly uh, a lot of these places have fallen in love with the week re release. Uh, we did, it right it lets us like talk about it all week and kind of exist in it and float in it and like the back to tank um to, to really like per let it like permeate us a little bit before we jump to these next episodes and i think the wednesday really seems smarter because you get that water cooler conversation right mm -hmm. i mean i don't know i've never stood around a water cooler to talk about tv mike but nonetheless like at least everybody's in the middle of their week right you, mm -hmm. you know uh, ostensibly you're gonna like uh, get on your zoom call tomorrow to go to work or go to the office or whatever it is and have um, the rest of like that week play out interacting with the rest of the world. It's not this thing that like drops in the vacuum of a weekend where like you can only kind of like reach out to the immediate people around you. It's, it makes sense. I think it makes yeah. a lot of sense and I'm happy with it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good point that I think Friday, you know, while it might give people a reason to like sit down and, and watch it because they have more time, it does provide more of a, a vacuous space where conversation can get lost my concern with this is not necessarily the day it's dropping, but for some reason, Disney Plus deciding that all of its new releases have to drop on the same day. That's the thing that mm -hmm. still confounds me is like, no, you know, it was TGIF back in the day on ABC, but that oh, yeah. didn't mean every single show was going to air on Friday. Uh, LT, do you have any thoughts about the choice to move from Fridays to, to Wednesdays? Do you have any sort of difference uh, due to the two day pushback on it? I really liked the Fridays just because it gave, you know, gives you something to look forward to at the end of the week. Um, I mean, I guess uniform, like making everything more uniform is easier for them, but I don't know why a Wednesday as opposed to a Friday, except for the fact that like things have been so bleak in the actual world that people probably need like midweek snackies. Mm. So that's kind of my theory as to why they, started doing Wednesdays instead of Fridays because people probably have like enough TV or whatever movies to catch up on on the weekend because most of the other streaming services do bigger releases on Fridays mm -hmm. and this way they can have their snackies for people in the middle of the week. 
Yeah, real second breakfast in terms of Disney Plus releases <laughs> on Wednesday. I love exactly. 11Zs. Yeah. Well, yep. with that being said, uh, we're not recording at 11Zs, but we're recording, you know, shortly thereafter. So if you have thoughts about The Mandalorian, or sorry, The Book of Boba Fett, maybe The Mandalorian as well, uh, and you want to get them in, uh, I would say watch the episode first thing in the morning pronto and then send it in either Star Wars at postshowrecaps.com or if you're a patron at the $10 level at the Discord, uh, you can put your stuff in there. We are combing through those feedback comments as well. You'll certainly hear a couple of comments throughout. If you happen to, you know, hear this and it's a couple days after you've watched the episode, that's totally fine. Send in your feedback. Maybe we'll talk about previous episodes in the next episodes. This is going to be ever flowing much like the the sands of time proper and of course while this season is still new we greatly appreciate it if you rate and review our star wars only podcast feed if you go to postshowrecaps.com slash star wars that is a direct link to the star wars only feed which you can check out rate and review uh, and don't be a sand monster about it uh please try to leave you know nice comments if you can uh we're great appreciative again uh over the course of this new season as things begin to develop uh we want to pop up at the top of those charts so again rate and review if you can after that spiel i'm going to take a quick second uh to hear a word from our sponsors and then when we come back we're really gonna dig into this premiere of the book of boba fett all right here we go the book of boba fett chapter one stranger in a strange land and i will (laughs) Fully admit, I frowned upon seeing the title. Uh, <laughs> Does that trigger some feelings in you, Mike? Stranger in a Strange Land. But instead, I'm gonna use a joke that Josh regular texted me. Uh, instead of finding out how Boba Fett got his tattoos, we find out how he got his tattooed, as it were. Of course, that's a joke that Josh sent to you. <laughs> that's that's a very Wigglerian joke. Yes, yes. But I mean, that being said, uh, the subtitle does make sense, right? Given Boba Fett's history and the fact that if this entire onus of the series is about him attempting to become the big guy on this planet that he knows next to nothing about, or so we thought. And I think that's the place to start really is probably the biggest surprise for me in the episode was not only the use of he- of flashbacks, but the heavy institution of flashbacks, I would say. Oh, yeah. I-, I wasn't sitting with a stopwatch, but I feel like we were almost half and half between uh, Moss Espa and then his time in the Tatooine desert. So LT, let me let me go to you first. Talk to me about your thoughts on the institution of those flashbacks. And like you said, coloring in those really blank pages of Boba Fett that were purposely left blank for decades. Yeah, so I didn't have an idea that there would be so much, the volume of flashbacks would be so much. Um, I thought that there might be some because the music leading us into the episode was so ominous um, that it it couldn't be anything good happening. Um, You know, I think that for a lot of fans, they're probably like, oh, great. We get to see how he got because everyone's like, how did he get out of that Sarlacc pit? And then we got to see how he got out of that Sarlacc pit. Um, I would never like to go through any of the things that Boba Fett has gone through. Like I see why he's so grumpy um, all the time. Like I would just want to like beat the crap out of people too, if this is what happened to me. Um, And then um, I would also never like to get captured by Tusken Raiders because that seems terrifying. Um, And also they don't treat their prisoners very well. And there's a scary dog. 
So, yeah, um, I think that the flashbacks are going to end up serving like a great deal of purpose in terms of like getting us the backstory, like the fans really, who have loved Boba Fett for so long and like gone off of like just little like, you know, whiffs of him here and there, um, really like getting them more into what makes this character tick and like why it is that given everything he's gone through, he's still he doesn't want to be carried on a litter. He doesn't want to rule with fear. You know, he wants to rule with respect and we find out why that is. And we start to see some of the reasons in these flashbacks, which are just like the little moments of um, kindness that people give to give to one another when they are stuck in these like harsh conditions. Um, So I thought that, you know, I thought it was a lot like flashback heavy I groaned a little bit when I saw Stranger in a Strange Land as well. Um, But I do think that, like, you know, it's a pilot episode, you know? And much like everything else, like, we've come to trust, like, the Filoni, the Rodriguez, all of, of, you know, the Star Wars, like, new class, essentially. Um, You know, like, I'm just going to trust them going with this first episode and, like, going along in the story forward. Yeah, so let's spend some time in the past because, as we know... This episode focuses on uh, a character, you know, finding out how they were able to survive the impossible odds and make their way back to the sands of Tatooine after facing immeasurable danger. And of course, I'm speaking about Max Rebo. I'm so glad that Blue Elephant guy survived uh, to play in the cantina. But no, Rich, let, let's let's focus back on the Sarlacc pit because I'll again say what you mentioned that we brought up last week, right? You and I were like, we don't need to see that. Well, we can, we can paint a picture. It's fine. So now we have this painting in front of us that maybe we didn't necessarily ask for. Appraise it for me. Uh, what did you think about what we saw? Those What were the ultimate opening minutes of the Book of Boba Fett of him escaping a scene that many Star Wars fans have thought of nights on end for decades at this point? Oh, no doubt. I thought it was really well realized, right? Like, they didn't linger there too long. It could have been too long spent there. And to the point of, like, that kind of opening, right, in the back to tank the flashback, like, it was a long run of no dialogue to open the episode. I didn't have my stopwatch either, Mike. Yeah, but, like, I'm, I'm, pre- I'm pretty saw... sure it was, like, the yeah the first, like, 10 minutes. And, of, again, yeah. like a 35-minute episode, that's a, basically a third of the entire episode is without dialogue. It's right? so bold and so cool. It, like, evokes, like, a 90s Claremont. X Men uh, for me, um, like I might be mm-hmm. off on an island there, but like I really liked the way they realized this, right? Like um, at first we get into this flashback, and I'm wondering, God, like how much are we going to track back here? Is this show going to be like Boba hanging out at Jabba's palace, like reflecting on like his misadventures to get here? Is this why it's the book that like has brought him here? Um, but we get in there, and it's like pressed, it's crushed, it's very like you know Jon Snow kind of Battle of the Bastards stuff the overwhelmingness of it and i love like the beat where he sees the stormtrooper in there with him is like so perfect and then like here we go let's like pay it off flamethrower his way out like it went quick he was out of the thing quick um and i like that like they did not linger there long enough to kind of burn us out on it i I think that could have gotten cheesy very quickly (laughs) the like let me dig my way out from the inside of this thing right and then that whole scene of him like dragging himself up out of the pit covered in goo and that beautiful beautiful sand reflecting the sunlight of tattooing um it was like a birth right it was very distorted Mm -hmm. corrupted like the birth of boba fett and this like led me into 
the kind of perspective I had of a whole episode of like, it's almost like these three lives that we, that this guy has have. And, and like, yeah, I don't know that like hooked with me and it stays with me through the rest of the episode, like from this birth into whatever kind of time period, this life that he's lived up until he meets Mando and like puts the armor back on and like recaptures some bit of like honor. Right. Cause that's the mm-hmm. whole gist when he gets his armor back from, from Jinjar and this, he's like, you know, the Mandalorian's like, okay, you could leave. And the, and he and Fennec are like, no, like we told you we would protect the child. We will stay with you until like we do the right thing here. Like this guy's got some honor, right? Um, I really dug it. Uh, the Star Wars tapestry is such like these kind of puzzle pieces along a timeline. And we just have these tiny windows and like filling in the space to LT's point, like between the windows that we've seen is such like a fundamental part of the Star Wars experience to me. Like I really like what they did here. Uh, they yeah. give us good pieces to like put in the timeline. Yeah, pieces is a good way to put it because I think it's safe to assume this is not the last we're going to see of flashbacks. And I think on paper that's something that again you might want to roll your eyes out of like, oh no, I want to see him now. Why are we why do we need to see so much of him hanging out with Tuscan Raiders? But you know, honestly, what it reminds me of, Rich, let me continue to invoke some superhero comparisons for you. I don't know why this is in my head. But I was really thinking of like the first couple seasons of Arrow, where they spent a lot of time of Oliver Queen becoming Arrow, but then a lot of time of him on Leon Yu, which is the island where he essentially like, I mean, one of the many places where he essentially becomes the person he is five years later. But they did a really good job throughout those early episodes of like linking some conundrums he was facing in the present and then talking about like a past instance that informed him of those attitudes he used to solve problems in the present. And I think we definitely got that idea. You know, this I, this thing of Jabba ruled out of fear, I want to rule with respect, was something that was beaten in our heads over the course of watching the promotional materials leading up to this. And this episode sort of answered why that is the case, uh, why Boba Fett, of all people, a bounty hunter, would want to, want to rule more so with, like, diplomacy and incentivization rather than with an iron fist. And it's because he essentially realized you know that that people are often driven by hard work and like getting on their level in a way more so than trying to bully and intimidate them he tried that with the tuscan raiders it didn't work he got his ass handed to him multiple times and then it's only when he was working with them that they necessarily wanted to to, you know offer him that water pot and get on his level and that also even goes back to the way he escapes the sarlacc pit because i believe at this point the sort of like pseudo canon that had been set up because Boba Fett did make like EU appearances, I think outside of the Sarlacc and they were just like, Oh, he used his jetpack." And from that Mm -hmm. comparison, I'm really glad they did it the way that they did because it's also this idea of, you know, first he kind of has to like go through his entire arsenal to figure out what he wants to do. Right. Like, does he explode his way out? Does he try to use the jetpack? And he's like, Nope, got to use the flamethrower. But from that capacity, it becomes self-destructive. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. he, again, he, you want to know how I got these scars? It's because he ends up lighting himself on fire, uh, burning his way out of the Sarlacc. And it's something that leaves him wounded. And I love that you said, like, it was almost like a baptism by sand, Rich, or a baptism by fire, because he is very nubile, I think, when he crawls out of that sand. Because the Jawas come by, they take his armor, and before he knows it, he's dragged behind a bunch of, you know, Tusken Raiders and their little woolly mammoth creatures. LT, it really did feel like this was him kind of starting over, right? That stranger in a strange land without anything, 
all on his own. You know, all of everything he used to protect himself and weaponize himself is gone. And now he kind of has to start over from scratch. Right. And everything that defined him, because I think that that armor, you know, for we've seen, you know, with Din Djarin, like for bounty hunters, like that armor is just such a critical part of their humanity and like their existence. So yeah, just really starting over from the bottom and uh, being like at the bottom of the food chain, really, when he went from being kind of this like notorious bounty hunter um, who was like feted, you know, by all the the evils and like in between in the land. So it's it's humbling. It's got to be a humbling experience to go through something like that. Oh, yeah. um, and, you know, to like be put in a situation where you don't speak the language. It's difficult to understand like what points people are trying to make to you. You're outranked by a child you know and like a dog so that's got to be like incredibly humbling but like you know we eventually get to the point where he we see that like bit of integrity in him still that comes through um when he like you know uh and we'll talk about this more near the end of the episode i'm sure but like saves the young tuscan uh raider and, like, doesn't take that glory for himself. Like, he lets the kid have it. Um, which is just, like, for, first of all, it like, it, for me, just ha- coming out of this watching experience straight out of The Witcher. Um, like, the first mm-hmm. episode I was going to say, Witcher. very, very Geralt of Rivia. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. In fact, there's a, there's a story, not to get too much into The Witcher, but there's a story in Season 2, Episode 1, that is literally the exact same thing. It's the same mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a little deja vu-y, like, seeing that um, actually play out, because we only hear the story in The Witcher. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought that that was, like, seeing a smile on his face, um, even, like, given all the hardship that he'd been through uh, by the end of that flashback, um, is something to behold. So... Yeah, there's a lot of just growth, I'm sure, that happens in, like, a short amount of time. And so that's why I'm pretty sure that we will continue with the flashbacks going forward because we kind of have to see, like, how he continues, like, on with the Tusken Raiders and eventually gets himself to a place where he is face-to-face with Din Djarin, like, asking for his own armor pack. Mm. So let's talk about the Tuscan Raiders. I'll go to I'll go to you, Rich, for sort of like your lore corner, if you will, uh, because I think maybe not as much as Boba Fett, but I think this is another part of the Star Wars fandom that has been there since the original trilogy. But I think from like a mainstream canonical perspective, has very much been in the background, save for a couple of dangerous appearances in the movies. What did we know, or you know, about Tuscan Raiders? going into the book of boba fett and how do you feel about the fact that it seems like if we're continuing with these flashbacks they're going to be sort of the central focus yeah so it's cool they're like immediately evocative right and very much like tied to that original trilogy in a way that you just they're inexorably part of tatooine right like this this part of the landscape in so many ways so my like extracurricular star wars activities over the years i guess have been like a lot of the video games uh like the tabletop role-playing game go figure i know they were all like the eu books i've read a handful of them i've read like some of the thrawn trilogy i've not completed it um 
I don't know a lot about the Tuscan Raiders, right? Like most of my perspective there is from like the main canon stuff, the actual like main films. So it's limited. Like I know they dig banthas. I loved like the callback to the dog from last mm-hmm. season of like uh, the Mandalorian. Like we got that like first episode, season two Mandalorian episode where they're going to team up to go kill the crate dragon and stuff. And that was like, as deep of a dive as I personally have taken into like Tuscan Raider lore, really. Right. Um, so I thought it was cool. Like I, I really love like the costume design and like the barely distinguishable kind of characteristics about them. Right. We have these three kind of prominent Tuscan Raiders that we're able to distinguish from like the, the crowd, I guess, so to speak of like the leader, their right hand who they send to like go kick Boba Fett's ass. And uh, this kid, who I think you guys are reading much more compassionately than I am. I did not like this kid. I'm, I'm really like anti-Tuscan kid. Down with this kid. His dog Tuscan was Tuscan Raider. Right. Yeah, this Tuscan Raider was a real jerk, I think. Um, a big Ollie vibe. He's been opinion. raised by jerks. I mean, that's how fair. How else is he going to, you know, know how to be? As Josh recently pointed out to me, LT, hurt people, hurt people. I get it. Yeah, right. he's, just a little, he's just a tiny little bubby. Hurt Raiders, hurt Raiders. I guess. <laughs> uh. <laughs> you know what? Maybe, maybe they're changing their tune. Like the thing we know exactly. about Tuscan Raiders in the Skywalker saga was that we knew that they apparently killed uh, Anakin's mother, whose name I was unfortunately reminded doing my research going to this Sh- podcast Shmi? that her name that her name is Shmi. Shmi. Yeah. George Lucas sometimes likes to wake up and just smash syllables together mm-hmm. and pretend <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a name like Shmi. Uh, speaking of Max Rebo, I'm glad Jizz came back, by the way. That, that was really nice to see some Jizz in the premiere of the book of Boba Fett. Uh, but, you know, no. that, that apparently the Tuscan Raiders, uh, you know, killed her. And so Anakin killed the women, the, the, the men and the children. That's the source of the infamous Padme meme that had mm-hmm. caught on in the beginning of this mm-hmm. year. And then we saw them in uh, New Hope, right? Uh, Obi-Wan saves Luke from them and he gives the infamous line, I guess they'll come back, but in numbers. Uh, so, I mean, this group evidently does seems like it's kind of off on its own. Well, here's my question: Are these, um, or they can't be? No, never mind. I, I had like Tuscan Raider questions, but um, yeah, never mind. They're not. We all got Tuscan Raider questions. Right? I know. How do <laughs> they drink so easily with those face masks, LT? What are they doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. They have a very small hole to get any sort of liquid into. Uh, but it also, you know, maybe much like camels, right? Like maybe they have water retention. Like maybe from an evolutionary perspective, they've been mm. raised to just sort of be their own moisture farmers, as it were, and just like not need to drink water for days, it seems. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really excited for this because of specifically how it is going to inform the way that Boba, I don't want to use the term, but kind of governs. Uh, yeah. What I'm sort of getting reminded of is like a politician who's like, no, I just come from a simple background. I hung <laughs> out with the Tuscan Raiders for years. I know what they want. I know what they need. And the most compelling thing for me, and probably one of the biggest mysteries coming out of this episode, is when when it's him and Tuscan Raider and the dog and the little other douchey prisoner who gives, who gives them away. Uh, they camp out for a second behind a dune. And they see someone's house get vandalized by like mm-hmm. seems like a, a sweep biker gang, swoop biker gang, as it were. Uh, I gotta imagine this is one of the bigger mysteries moving forward. But LT, what did you make of that? Because I know that's one of those dangling threads, but I do feel like it was purposely put in there to be like, this is the true monsters. You know, these these are the Tuscan Raiders are nothing to worry about in comparison. Yeah, I think they're both something to worry about. Frankly. <laughs> <I don't... laughs> 
want to cross paths with either of these groups of people. Um, but the fact that, you know, the Tusked Raider is like hiding from, like, this is a force that they need to hide from um, when they don't seem to be afraid of much of anything um, is opposed to plant a seed for us uh, somewhere in the desert that these people will be back. Um, that's about, honestly, all I thought of that moment. Um, I was just like really feeling bad for Boba Fett. <laughs> it's just like, he's like being dragged along on this chain, like, you know, with this alien who completely gave them away when he was trying to escape, mm-hmm. which is that, is that the one that Matt Barry is voicing, by the way? No, Matt Barry, uh, from what we do in the shadows, voices the droid that was consulting with oh, him in the palace. In the palace. Okay. That really that makes scary a lot more looking sense. droid. That droid's terrifying it's looking. Terrifying. Isn't yeah, it, 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 looks less, it looks less uh, clankety than I think a lot of other droids. So this, this seems more like this one got a glow up, I think, in comparison to like your C-3PO's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's real human skull energy coming off that droid. I, yeah. <laughs> Yep. I I take some of those droids that help you put on your clothes though. Like the oh, yeah. those are that those seem like useful droids. But yeah, to get back to the the desert which we'll never leave again. Um yeah, I I don't know who these people are. I don't know what they want. Um but I am afraid of them and I'm sure we'll find out more. Rich, any thoughts about this like momentary 30 second scene? Uh you think this is going to have more prominence in the past and the present? I was I was reading it differently. I was thinking like, oh, are they like selling them the slavers? What's going on here? But then they're all like clearly hiding. Um, and the symbology was interesting. They left their little like old school Atari symbol kind of graffitied <laughs> up on the wall there. Yeah, you know uh, what it was? This was a, a Nintendo kid they saw in the house. And they just like beat yeah, him up, exactly. smash his NES, and he's like, Atari forever. <laughs> Screw that Mario <laughs> Brothers. Yeah. Um, and, and so I don't know. I don't know. I mean, clearly uh, we're foreshadowing, right? We'll see them again. And I'm kind of with you, Mike that like um the real you know this is a wonderful trope that we play with in sci-fi and fantasy that like these scary looking alien dudes the scary tuscan raiders who like grunt and moan for language uh, are actually going to teach you like uh respect and like benevolence and then about the importance of community and like uh these seemingly everyday yahoos running around on tatooine the real monsters mm-hmm. uh yeah yep Yep. I did. I was like wondering, it's a moisture farm, I guess. They're like out here raiding moisture farms for a couple of water bottles. Is that what it looked like? Like, I don't know. It didn't seem like they were stealing much. much. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if this is just like a gang of hooligans roughing someone up, uh, you know, a la a clockwork orange or something, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. or, or like you said, like trying to shake someone down. I'm not entirely sure, but obviously when we talk about the present and Boba becoming a crime lord, uh, there are so many things that encompass that. And so maybe that's that's somehow included. I mean, speaking of echoes to the past, apparently the only way to kill something on Tatooine is to choke it with a chain. Uh, because oh, yeah. like literally everything else, again, Boba Fett survived, Max Rebo survived, um, <laughs> Jabba the Hutt did not because he was choked with a chain. Choked with a chain. Neither did this sand creature. Uh, but LT, as you mentioned before, like this was sort of one of Boba's proving ground moments where i think he went from mm-hmm. maybe just another run-of-the-mill prisoner to someone who could be of use to a group of tuscan raiders that are probably besieged with danger on the reg yeah what was that thing like uh, that was it was uh, awesome that's what it was <laughs> lt <laughs> it was terrifying i i would like to know the D equivalent so i can kill one um but um yeah i i Poor that whoever that like other alien was 
sorry to that alien because he got whomped. Like, you know, when you discover the scales, you stop digging in that general area and, like, go someplace else. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, that was a scary, scary monster with, like, all the arms slash legs and um, just but a very soft neck, apparently. Um, oh, yeah. Just, like, uh... the softest neck one has ever seen on a creature. Um, but, yeah, it, it, this was a good way of kind of, like, Boba Fett proving... You know, even if these people are my captors and it could be like advantageous for me to just get away in this moment, you know, the devil that, you know, and all that. Plus, like, it's a kid like, you know, if you know, I Mm. think back to like him being like knowing like when his dad died and everything like he obviously had to have been taken in by some people and like taught the ways of something. And we'll find out more about that, too, I'm sure. But um, just, like, not wanting to see injustice happen to a child and, like, seeing a child die in such a way, um, even though he was his captor and wasn't very nice to him and wouldn't let him have water, um, you know, he was able to, like, stand up for him and ended up earning him some, like, great diplomatic points in the end. He eventually got that drink of water. I probably would have died of thirst by the time they let him drink anything. Um, But, like, yeah, no, just being able to prove something to himself, too, probably, after he got his, like, like ass handed to him, like, so many times over earlier in the episode, he probably need to get, get, needed to get the mojo back by, like, killing this creature um, and just being like, yes, okay, I can still do this, and I can, like, spare someone's life in the balance. Yeah, so on that note... Rich, obviously, when we see Boba Fett come out, you know, in The Mandalorian Season 2, something I noticed is he really knows how to use that boomstick, oh, right? Oh, heck yeah, he does. I gotta imagine some flashback this season, to LT's point, right, about how there's probably gonna be a bit of, like, the dances with wolves of it all, of yep. him slowly ingratiating himself, dances yeah. with, with Bontas, uh, if you will, to, like, this community. I would imagine that he probably learns how to master the boomstick from these people, right? Considering how much they just owned his ass in this first episode with them. Yeah, absolutely. I think like when you're watching them fight with him, there's something super evocative about the way that they're using it and they're like not stabbing him with the pointy Mm -hmm. ends, uh, to quote another famous line, right? But they're like Mm -hmm. beating on him with the curves and the flat points and like smashing him down, using it for like subdual damage and the D&D of it all. Um, And I love the notion that like he doesn't have it because like it's just a thing he picked up. Like he's choosing to continue carrying that thing, right? There's like a decisive reason that like he takes this weapon from the culture of these people and like walks uh, Tatooine with it like so to speak right um, and yeah this like pink Rodian I hate this guy he gets exactly what he <laughs> deserves getting crushed by this big six arm monster which I really like love the design of this monster because after like Tatooine has these big terrifying things the Sarlacc uh, Mando last season we saw the crate Dragon which made the Sarlacc look like a little tiny worm right mm-hmm. and now like they're able to break out something that doesn't have to be like bigger and flashier which i think is so often the instinct when we're like playing in these action spaces that like you gotta ratchet up the tension like make it bigger make it scarier Mm -hmm. and it's very like um 
it's a very accessible monster, you know? It's just big enough to be overwhelming, but not insurmountable. And I love that, yeah, he makes this choice here rather than, like, letting the kid get killed. He saves him. We do have, like, little beats of, like, the Boba Fett childhood, right? Through mm-hmm. Clone Wars. We see tiny, like, little bits of him and the kind of people that he comes across along the way. So I love that, like, to, to your point, LT, that, like... Just reflecting on the tiny bit we know about the trauma that was this kid's childhood, pretty much unrelentingly for like until he reaches his final form to like have this moment of like compassion, of mercy, right? He's so like measured, you know, and like, yeah, they don't give him the water for a while, but he does just take it at a point, right? He finds Mm -hmm. it and just drinks. And this kid comes at him, but you know, Tusked Raider like thinks he's gonna womp him with that little not quite grown up (laughs) stick, and he just like grabs it and that's i love these moments right um the like restraint of power right of to like the again this metaphor of like ruling with respect but like he just holds this kid's stick like come on shaking his head at him (laughs) like i need some water man exactly i'll recover your weird sand dragon gourds that are underwater here but like i i need a drink kid you know um i really love it and i can't wait to see the like evolution of his relationship with the kind of leader of the pack of the tuscan raiders and how all this plays right yeah it makes me nervous though because uh no i mean there were tuscan raiders obviously involved in the season two premiere of the mandalorian but you know <laughs> none in sight when boba made his his return so I mean, I hope another Anakin situation doesn't happen and, like, that entire village, you know, ends up uh, going the way of that of that sand monster. And mm-hmm. then Boba, that's when Boba decides, like, well, might as well get my armor back. I'm hoping that's not the case, but I guess we shall see in due time. Any other things from either one of you about the past before we move into the present of Boba Fett? Um, I guess my final thought, and you just like uh, uh, drew it out, I suppose. But yeah, like what a parallel of like this adopted Tuscan Raider family of Boba Fett. Like, are they going to get um, ice the same way that kind of like Tuscan Raiders killed like Anakin's mom? I don't know. It's very interesting uh, food for thought. But yeah, no, we should move forward. Her name is Shmi. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Hook, Captain Hook. Yeah, it's yeah, kinda... well. Well, speaking of Shmi, though, let's go to Mos Espa, because this is, uh, for people who might not remember, Mos Espa, which is where it seems like uh, Boba Fett's holding court, is the same city where Anakin and his mother were in episode one. God, I feel like it's a missed opportunity if we don't get some form of pod racing. Come on! We're right there! We're in the Indianapolis of Tatooine! Give us the pod (laughs) racing! Please! The video game lover in me needs it! It feels like that could totally be the moment of, like, instead of, like, the boxing fight where you got to go meet the crime bosses, they're all, like, betting on the pod races or whatever. We're going to come down in the stands. We're going to see Watto again, Mike? Uh, oh, that's, man, yeah. yeah. I would I would love to see maybe a better done in many ways. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Watto would be great. Uh, maybe the crime boss is the two-headed announcer of the pod racers. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Maybe Sebulba is uh, the one who sent the assassins after Mando. Who the hell knows? That dude's up to no good. I'm just saying, look, it's right in front of us. That that was arguably the best part of episode one. Make pod Mm -hmm. racing happen. Okay, Mm -hmm. Kathleen Kennedy, please, for my Mm -hmm. sake, make it happen. (laughs) Uh, But outside of that, let's talk about what we actually saw in this episode. LT, give me your thoughts on this first scene of Mando holding court. Because I think that this is obviously like, He's the, the, the theme of this episode in the present, actually in, in both sort of timelines, is you're in way over your head, kid. Uh, and we see here that even starting off, like, 
Boba's style of ruling is not usual when it comes to a lot of different parties. And we get several, I think, different ideas introduced to us in this very first one, uh, helped by Matthew Barry's uncanny valley droid face. <laughs> uh, but what do you think about, like, the introduction of Boba the ruler after we got, like, sparsely introduced to him at the, the tail end of Mando season two? It was interesting um, because I kind of think of all... I don't know that I've ever seen a scene in television or movies of someone ruling that has been like riveting television. You know what I mean? Like I go back to like um, Daenerys, like mm. being like, I will do what Queens do. I will rule. And then it's just like a line of people that you have to talk to all of these people. Mm. Um, so some of the things that stood out to me uh, was it being hilarious that Finnick uh, kind of understands some of the languages and <laughs> like only gets one word. Um, that she wants to just kill all of the people um, is also great. Like, just let her do it. <laughs> At a certain point, I guess you could rule respect or you could just let Fennec kill all the people. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting to see who, like, immediately kind of, like, it, it, because it seems these people, or they have been under some form of subjugation for such a long time, that they're just like, okay, fine, we'll just go and, like, kiss the ring of, like, whomever is the new ruler now. So, like, now I used to give this person my money, I'll give this person my money, and then I'll go about my day. And then this, like, like clown shows up, who's the representative of the mayor, um, and he has nothing in hand, and, in fact, expects money, um, and, like, is barely even thankful for being able to escape with his life. Um, so I think obviously that is already, it probably could be the reason that the assassins came. Um, but that's going to be a future problem, um, that we have to deal with, but his, his style of ruling is just kind of like not saying a bunch, trying to take in as much as he can from body language more so than anything, taking more of the advice as much of the advice as he wants, I guess, of both the droid and Fennec and just kind of like taking it all in. There's not such a developed style yet because he doesn't know what he's doing. Like it's day mm. one and he just got done having really traumatic nightmares in a back to tank, like five minutes before mm. he stepped onto this throne. So we're really seeing like the nascent stages of what this could be. And I don't, really have a great idea yet of what he's going to be like as a ruler and neither does he for that matter uh yeah i mean to your point rich about this sort of the the, the three stages i would say of boba fett up to this point we definitely see this remnants of the second and third stage and they are very similar with him just sort of crawling out of the sand in this case the back to tag to be like all right i guess i'm gonna do this now alti spoke about this mayor Give me your thoughts on this dude and uh, the major domo who I believe, I think he was played by the guy who plays uh, Andrew, Selena Meyer's ex-husband on Veep. And so this dude like oh my knows how to play <laughs> slimy people. Uh, but what what are your thoughts on the introduction of this character and who is probably going to be outside of the people actually wanting to kill Boba Fett and Fennec Shan, the biggest thorn in his side over the course of the series? 
he was immediately evocative. Um, I was like trying to place who the actor was. His performance was so kind of like, I don't, I don't want to say like over the top, but like theatrical and like big and, and like just pulled so much attention to him. Um, and, and he just was so like uh, perfectly polite while like contemptuously dismissive of the pair of them <laughs> that it was just like magnificent. Like I could have watched that for another couple of moments. Like to LT's point, like, the sitting there ruling holding court is never really like that compelling like it can be really hard to do but like this got me right we get like the trant oceans like oh yeah i used to work for those guys and like that did you understand what he's saying like i don't know something about friendship yeah okay whatever right um and they did their due diligence and like dropped the coin into the coffer as it were and here's mm-hmm. this guy like um just so polite in his absolute insulting of them and it felt very <laughs> like just testing of the boundaries right this is like, um, you know, the toddler, like pushing and pushing and pushing, like how much are we going to be able to get away with here, you know? Um, so I loved it. Like, I, I thought the whole like landing back in like the throne room of Jabba's palace, this familiar place with these unfamiliar players around us, like um, it brought me home and it kind of like set the stage for what we're going to deal with here. Um, I did feel like they, they, you know, maybe did Boba a little dirty where he's like, what does he mean? Like, what? We, it's pretty obvious what he means. Like, he wants you to give yeah. him the money, you know? But I yeah. love this, like, kind of, like, Fennec as his mouthpiece, you know? Like, he, mm. he, he won't even tell this guy to F off. She's got to tell him that he's lucky to get the hell out of here with his life. Um, the energy between the two of them is great. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really liked like Boba and Fennec together in that spot, like holding that position of power. Um, I dug it. Yeah. I'm I'm so intrigued by what the mayor's role was during the Jabba reign or even the Big mm-hmm. Fortuna reign, yeah. which I would imagine was pretty similar to the Jabba reign. Like, was there a similar arrangement? Is the mayor saying, okay, this is an opportunity for me to like try something new now? Maybe this guy's a little bit easier to push around. Uh, as was sort of implied here by the major domo, essentially he said, like, we'll be back, right? Like, don't be surprised if we send more goons oh, yeah. after you. Expect another delegation soon. It was right. so good. I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I do love, again, like you said, Rich, it's like this this fun, uh, almost like bureaucratic method of being so nice, but the words are so cutting at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, just, just absolutely so patronizing the way that he was speaking. Uh, but we also see in this moment here, while Boba's a little understandably all over the place when it comes to handling all these elements, if anything, he it was, I'd probably say, like, a benevolent leader overall. Like, look, he'll execute people if if need be, but let's look no further than talk about a couple of other mainstays from Jabba's palace. The Gamorreans, the pig people, uh, get brought forward. Fennec's like, great, choppy, choppy, and he says, no, let me, you know, let's let's keep them alive. And mm-hmm. as a result, they end up saving his bacon, even though they are bacon. LT, does this connect to you back to the Tuscan Raider stuff? Do you think? Because it's also interesting that he says specifically there, like, we don't torture. Do you think that's yeah. something specific to Boba? I, it has to be. Um, it has to be something specific to him. Um, even if it's something that we haven't necessarily <clears throat> seen yet. Um, because I wouldn't. I don't think that what the Tuscan Raiders have done so far has been torturing more than just like so much as like ho- just holding him captive and then like making him do some work um, that they don't want to have to do. Um, but I'm sure that at some point in his life, he has been tortured or seen torture. 
and doesn't think that that is the way to go, which I'm like on board with, like no, no torturing, please. Um, so yeah, I, I, I just really think that, you know, this episode was a pilot episode very much in in this way that it, there's a lot of setup for things that are going to pay off for us in the future. And even in like these little moments that we're finding things like him saying no torture, like he'll just straight up kill you if you, if he thinks you deserve it, we'll find out the reason for that um, in the near future. All right. Well, go ahead, Rich. Oh, I just was going to say, I love seeing these Gamorrean guards back, right? This was like one of my particular action figures that I had as a kid that <laughs> like, uh, my, these Gamorrean guards did a lot of work for me when I was six years old. <laughs> like, I love these guys. I'm glad to have them back. I saw somebody in the Discord calling them Rocksteady and Bebop. And I thought like Fennec, you know, I like you see him like, okay, he's going to let the Major Domo go. Now he's going to like show mercy on these guys. And it seems like, well, this is, this is bad. I mean, Fennec's like, this is going to, you're going to pay for this is a bad idea um i love the i don't torture but it did feel to me like oh these guys are gonna screw them over and like they don't they come up huge they, they come really up do huge right um and so i i like just seeing that like little reversal of what seemed like a very like kind of foregone conclusion of like yeah this is gonna be bad boba fett like listen to your lieutenants here um anyway yeah that was no it. i i mean i think this could have very easily gone in the direction of not to go, again, too much into Game of Thrones again, but very much like Jon Snow when he took over as commander of the Night's Watch, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Of yep. He's making all of these decisions that on paper you think are the better things to do, but mm-hmm. as a result, you rankle your masses and you end up in a very precarious situation, uh, for lack of a better term. Uh, but it does seem like he makes the right judgment call here. So, LT, you talk about, you know, uh, setting things up to be paid off later, Let's talk about Garcifwip. I cannot believe I'm saying that name. That Garcifwip. is Garcifwip. Garcifwip, the cantina owner. Uh, this is Jennifer Beale's character. Uh, we we talked about this beforehand, Rich. That uh, you know, we knew that she was going to be making some sort of appearance as a Twi'lek. We didn't know who it was. Evidently, she is the owner of one of the most like sprawling cantinas I have seen uh, yeah, in beautiful. Star Wars. Give me your thoughts on her, Latanya. Do you think we're going to get more of her? Or is this sort of like a Bill Burr-esque, like, hey, she'll show up every few episodes or so? I hope we get more of her. I just like, you know, seeing like that live, like kind of like elegant entrance into the frame. I was like, oh, this is Jennifer Beals. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, And then like that huge smile. Um, there's something obviously going on behind that smile and behind those eyes. Like she's obviously very smart. Um, you know, she ultimately like gives deference and says, you know, like you do own this now. Um, but I get the feeling that, you know, only as far as she allows it with these men that she's had to like put up with. Um, I don't know. There's just something about the atmosphere of this place, but also, um, her like professionalism and almost being unfazed by the fact that like there's been a like a complete exchange of power um and now like the old people that she used to deal with are now dead um and she you know has all of these like people who come and they're like let me take your your helmet in order to like clean it for you and service it and then like when Boba gets his helmet back. It's just filled with coin. You know, it's just very, 
there's something about like very political and savvy about her that I like already. And I think that she's going to end up being a bigger part of the show, or at least I hope that she is. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I don't think, especially in like later in her career that I've seen on television, like whenever she's been brought on to um, a show, it's been for an impact, like heavy role. Um, And I think that she plays and will play a big part in like what's to come in like you know the new Tatooine and like what is the landscape and like who are the people we need to deal with and how we need to deal with them she'll be a, a resource if nothing else that they desperately need yeah so Rich what what do you think about what we've set up here with Garza how likely is she to become a maniac uh, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I echo LT sentiments here right if my years of D&D have taught me nothing it's that the tavern owners are important people uh, mm. they're vital NPCs to like the ecosystem and unlike Mando we're kind of grounded here right we're going to be playing in this space for a minute like this is where Boba Fett is like setting up shop right so certainly um, I think that we don't introduce her specifically in a role like this without some expectation that we're going to see her again uh, she struck me a lot it, it uh, just reminded me like very first watch quick to brain of um, Black Sails and the kind of political arrangement of like the first season of that where you have um, these various players in like the kind of criminal underworld that is set up that is its own kind of weird bureaucratic system right with with individual like players and movers and shakers and I did just love the presentation of the place with this glossy beautiful surface veneer and it was like the other side of the coin for our major our mayor's major domo where she's very affable and charming and the charisma is like just pouring off of her right um but at the same time like you you know this woman like hasn't made it this far and been this successful amidst this like backdrop of tyranny without being very machiavellian and intelligent and like what she's doing why she's doing it uh so i'm really curious to like see what else is going to kind of thread through here and i would love to see her like presented as like you know, a tangential, how far can I trust them ally to Boba Fett as he's trying to put the pieces together, right? I, all I can think of when I think of Cantina Owner on Tatooine is from the Star Wars Holiday Special. <laughs> B. Arthur sings a musical number <laughs> as the cantina is closed down by the Empire. El Clasico. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, so I hope she doesn't go in that direction, though that would be interesting if she ends up singing This Is The End, My Friend, or like, I think that was the name of the song. <laughs> like, this is the end, my friend. Like, I don't know why it's I had the image in my head of B. Arthur That's doing so that. so funny. She'll probably George do some song. kind of like choreography, like a modern dance. I, yeah, I really hope so. Again, it, like it's right in front of you, Kathleen Kennedy. Please, yeah, there's come so, on. Many, so many hooks being thrown your way. Take the bait. Yeah, um, and you know she's listening. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. if we know nothing else about post-show recaps, is that <laughs> Kathleen Kennedy listens all the time. She no is question. such a devotee. Yeah. Thank, yeah. She is at the $75,000 level yeah, with her is. patronage. And we are very <laughs> we happy about that. Thanks, Thanks Kathleen. <laughs> well, speaking of bait, let's talk about an attack that happens on the streets of Mos Espa here. Uh, it's clear that Boba and Finnick are not wanted by at least some faction, considering that an entire group of assassins were, uh, you know, take it, take, took them out. Thank goodness, uh, to sort of quote Billy Madison, thank God I called that guy because the, the guards <laughs> were able to come in and save them. Uh, Boba is a little worse for wear, which we'll certainly get into. Fennec gets to finally be badass in the mm-hmm. episode and like uh, parkour across rooftops, Aladdin style. But the bigger question here, Rich, is 
who do you think sent the assassins? Is it someone we've been introduced to, or do you think it's someone still waiting in the wings? Oh, it's so great because, of course, you want to, like, jump to the mayor. We've seen, like, this preface. We know that there's, like, the speeder gang out there in the desert wailing away on the poor moisture farmers. You got to wonder. The Trandoshans were, like, very polite. Does that mean anything? Maybe they want to unseat this guy who used to work for them. Uh, so we have a few, like, leads, right? But um, they just – they were very well equipped. They were very well coordinated. These are not, like, your run-of-the-mill average goons that are coming after, like, Boba Fett and Fennec. Right. They drop in in formation with mm-hmm. their like, uh, you know, tower shields of force and their like vibro spears. And the whole thing was very sophisticated and mm. felt like these two were like really in bad shape. Boba Fett's trying to like blow stuff up. He's about to like nuke Fennec, set himself on fire again. If not for, um, you know, the Gamorreans, Rocksteady and Bebop rolling it at the last minute. like. <laughs> I thought for sure the Gamorrean sold these guys out. I never gave them that much credit when I had them as my little action figure six years old. They were <laughs> not masterminds. You one eye on them. They might turn on you. Yeah, but in the last uh, few decades, apparently, they've really, like, gotten savvy. I'm thinking to myself as they, like, set up this whole turnaround on the streets. But, like, here they come with their cool, uh, you know, kitchen cleavers, chopping up dudes. I-, I loved it. This was, like, a great action sequence. The hardcore parkour was very fun on the roofs um and i love that like poor old boba fett by the end of this thing is just like put me back in the back to tanks yeah quickly <laughs> you know what i mean it's very like lethal weapon danny glover energy <laughs> like it just was it was great i like like all the little beats about an action scene that like come together to make it work like everything worked here right uh the parts were like greater than their whole and, and i like like the authenticity of where they ended up at the end of it um very cool scene yeah, so Latanya, I know you're a huge Ming Na Wen stan. Yeah. Uh, so, what did you think about Fennec's part of this, where she really got to, you know, show her skills? Well, first of all, I love the weaponry that these assassins attack with. Like, I just think it's such a cool, um, like almost unmesswittable, um, mm-hmm. like a formation, and then like the shields, and then I mean, I just think it's so cool, and it's really cool looking and then you learn if you try to defend yourself it's just gonna come right back in on you like it's just it's almost impenetrable unless someone is taken out of the formation um i thought that finally getting to see like we see a little bit of magna kind of like um try to go over the shields by like essentially like being like catapulted into the (laughs) air (laughs) by boba fett which was really awesome um, she doesn't quite make it then, but like she's all ready for the parkour and just like to push some people or make them fall off of rooftops. And then uh, also, of course, keep one of them uh, prisoners so there can be interrogations and like she can find out where they came from. It's really cool to see her like kick some ass. It's just fantastic. And something I've been wanting to talk about the entire episode is how glorious her braid is. Like, I know that like, we don't want to like have the one woman on the show be like, but her hair, but, (laughs) but it was so awesome and like functional and like beautiful. Like, um, um, I, I keep the, the plating that's there. It's hard for me to talk about braiding or plating ever since I've seen the power of the dog. I won't say any more than that, but, um, it's I just think her hair is really beautiful and like functional at the same time like she she could as well be like on top 
of a roof, like kicking some butt, or she could be like going like dressed up and going to a cantina with that hairstyle. Mm. It's really very functional and beautiful. I mean, she's a political operative at this point, right? So like she has to be dressed for any occasion. And so from that capacity, it is a one size fits all type of hairstyle. Uh, Do you have any theories, Latanya, as to who possibly sent the assassins? Yeah. So if it's not the mayor, which I know is like the easiest thing to think of, I could be, oh my gosh, I can't say her name. Gwilsa. No. Garsha Whip. Is that who you're saying? Garsha Whip. It was her. Yeah. Good call. Could be. Mm-hmm. Could be. Just to like, if nothing else, to test these people's metal and be mm-hmm. like, how much more powerful are they? You know, because she does the whole thing where she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't know I was in the presence of the person who has yeah. taken over the city. I did not see your litter arrive. Like, basically, like, who are you? <laughs> and then they leave like a couple of rookies with their casino tokens right in the buckets, right? They just uh-huh. like walk out into the street, mm-hmm. like waiting to drop their I know, anywhere. like waiting uh, to get picked up by the bus, like some old people in Vegas. Exactly. You know, um, so yeah, I, I think that could have been her. And I wouldn't be mad at it. And I, I don't know how in like a game recognized game kind of situation. I don't know how mad um, Boba Fett would be at it either. With the exception of the fact that he had to go back into that back to tank. Yeah, well, that's that's a big thing. And we'll certainly get into that in a second. Here's my off the table theory. Because I am surprised, Rich, when we talked last week about like what characters would we expect to see in uh, Book of Boba Fett. This guy didn't mm-hmm. come up. What if it's Cobb Vanth? What if it's Ooh. Tim Oliphant being like, listen, dude, I had your armor. I want it back. <laughs> this is an armor game at this point. I've sent a bunch of assassins after you. And he shows up with his big gray beard and his sexy stare. And is just like, I'm going to need the armor back right now. I would love to see Cobb Vanth again. And uh, to your note about like uh, pod racing, like his speeder bike last season felt like one kind of engine from a pod racing machine. Mm. So maybe he could like show up at the inevitable pod race that we're manifesting like halfway through this season of Boba Fett. Um, Mm -hmm. I would be blown away, like shocked. They would have to do some work to prove to me that Cobb Vanth is that ruthless because he seemed like a pretty chill dude. Like, man, uh, you know, Ginger Aaron rolls up and is like, I'm going to that armor and he's like all right you know (laughs) he's like how about you just do me a solid before you take it like i really don't want to tangle with you he seems like a guy who knew his like the reach of his own limits and wouldn't necessarily want to fight boba fett but um it would be awesome if he turned up and if he turned up in an antagonist role that we don't see coming in a way that's paid off i'm 100 percent here for it love me some often yeah or maybe in an anti-hero role right he's uh, Mm -hmm. accustomed to that yeah that's what Uh, he does I want to get into some feedback that was sent in uh, by the the listeners of Post Show Recaps. And again, the the few hours uh, we had before recording this. And I actually want to go back to the Back to Tank because I'm All In posits a really interesting idea. I'm All In says, here's my early thought on the Back to Tank. We're only seeing Boba at like 25%. Mm-hmm. As we go through the season, he'll gradually power up. And by the end of the season, he will officially be a big, bad ass kicker. Some of the best storytelling is when a progression is seen clearly. To your point, LT, Boba is a little worse for wear by the end of the episode, especially. Uh, While it's awesome to have a 60-year-old man leading a series, I'm glad they sort of incorporate a bit of his age into it Mm -hmm. of like, I can't just, you know, scrap with these assassins and get away scot-free. What do you make of this idea that this is not Boba Fett's final form? Oh, I completely agree. Um, And I'm excited to see 
what does happen when we can see him kind of like back at full power. Um, if we ever have seen him at full power, um, you know, if we're being honest, we've just kind of, you know, we didn't really know where he came from when we uh, saw him in the Mandalorian. He just kind of showed up because he knew that's where his armor was. So we didn't know, we didn't know like what state he was like he was in um, when he went to go and retrieve that or when he went to go help out on those missions so yeah no I completely agree with that and I'm excited to see what happens when he's in like full ass kickery mode all right I'll throw an an I'm all in question to you Rich because let's tie this back into the Mandalorian how how much will we see of the Empire or the New Republic so we saw this a bit in Mando season two, right? That was where the dad from Kim's Convenience was like one of the the people from the New Republic. It's mm-hmm. like a brief little thing that, that was showing up. And obviously we had Moff Gideon and everything with the Darksaber uh, representing the Empire. Is that going to be represented in this show, do you think? Or you think as a spinoff, it's going to be much more small potatoes. We're hanging out on Tatooine and that's it. I think we're going to split the difference a little bit. I think it's going to be smaller potatoes where we're focused in on Tatooine, but I think that you need to create a little bit of a juxtaposition to like, you know, Tatooine is like already this lawless place, right? They're in this lawless city. We're focusing on this lawless subculture. I would love to, we got that note during Mando of like the empire couldn't hold the outer reaches. Like the new Republic will never be able to either. I would love to see a couple like orange jumpsuit uh, pilots pop out of a couple of X wings and wander into the cantina. Like, I don't think we need to dig deep into that as, like, part of the the focus of our story. But I think it, like, behooves everybody involved to, like, put sprinkle some of those ingredients into the backdrop of the setting that we're getting and create a little bit of a parallel to, like, you know, the Republic's trying to build itself up. There's a legitimate, like, system out there, law and order, you know, uh, compared to the kind of, um, you know, criminal underbelly that we get here in Tatooine, right? Like, um, yeah. All right, well, here's an interesting question that I honestly hadn't thought of, because you talk about the dynamic between Boba and Fennec. I'm all in, once again, bringing the questions, asks, how long will Boba and Fennec's partnership last? The helmet scene with the credits was played off as jokey, yours looks fuller than mine, but is this leading to a power grab in the future? What do you think, Latanya? Is is Fennec not only aiming to be on top of her hair game, but on top of the throne as well by the end of the season? I hope not. It's not that I don't want to see her on top of the throne because she is a queen. Um, it's that I hope that I really like their dynamic. Um, I'm excited to see how that formed. You know, I don't know if we'll get a flashback episode or just like more back to dreams, but like. I love their like partnership um, and I like to see them work together. So I, I hope that she's just not all out to like take things over for herself, but uh, could very well understand like if that's where things end up going. What do you think, Rich? Is there a coup coming from inside the house? I mean, we know it's only six episode season, right? It's running pretty tight. We move through this so fast. I have to think no. Uh, like, of course, it's a story that could be interesting, but just the notes that I had in like internally watching them together, like right at the beginning, she pulls him out of the back to tank and is like, hey, boss, like there's there's that 
kind of like really loyal number two energy that I'm getting authentic. She hunts these guys down. Like she does exactly what he wants. You know, she brings one back alive. Like she stands to make a lot out of this position, like being here. And just, I, I keep calling it back. Cause I just like watched it all again in the last couple of days leading up to Boba Fett, but the Mandalorian, like season two, when the two of them, um, hook up with Jin Jarn or like telling him their story like you know Boba Fett saved her life right uh, she's like left mm-hmm. for dead on the desert mm-hmm. and like they very much had this like similar experience right this bonding experience wherein she like feels oh you saved me explicitly but also we've both been through this same thing together like we've been chewed up and spit out by the deserts of Tatooine and like we get it it's rough out there you know like having somebody at your six watching your back like only makes life easier in this kind of harsh lawless place um so i doubt it you know i doubt it you're saying it's very important for boba fett to have a firm number two yes that's exactly what i would say yeah 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 exactly no no metamucil here uh for boba solid yeah just absolutely (laughs) solid no i i completely agree with you both if if fennec shan betrays boba fett we would really have to earn it. Because mm-hmm. to your point, Rich, like what we know about Fennec Shen at this point is she said, I dedicate my life to you because you saved my life. She does not necessarily seem like the person that, yes, maybe she was just driven by credits beforehand to do some bad things. But I don't know, at this point, I don't take her as the character to say, oh, I don't know what Boba's doing. I guess I, things are better in my hands. Like that's, maybe we'll get to know the character better. That's who I'm not who I'm seeing at this moment. Uh, and so I also hope that's not the case too. Because like, I don't know, uh, as we talked about in the very first scene in the palace, if the lesson is, well, Boba Fett kind of sucked as a leader to the point where he didn't realize <laughs> that people were going to stab him in the back that were closest to him. Like, that's a pretty sad lesson to learn from all this. Let me throw out one one more question uh, and just do, like, a quick around the horn here. At any point in this series, will Boba Fett leave Tatooine? Rich? No. Latanya? Oh, God, he has to. He should. <laughs> he really should. Yeah, get a, get out, take a walk once in a while. I mean, it yeah. could easily be like a last scene of it, right, where he's like, my work here is done. Now I'm taking off to do whatever <laughs> happens next. Mm-hmm. At some I, point in the series, and that's why I'm going with. Well, I maybe not in the season. I wouldn't be surprised if he picks up and leaves by the end of the season, but I don't think so. I think that this is going to be, um, I think we may be off world and see other people that are like, you know, off world here. But um, I don't know, to the point of like him growing in power and like restoring himself, like really he shows up in Mando season two, he kicks him ass, he gets the armor back. And most of what he does from that point forward is pilot the ship, right? He ends up mm-hmm. like putting them in it. They build up this awesome fire team around them and he's flying everywhere. He's flying here. He's flying there um like i don't know i feel like we have to get the ship we'll make an appearance right it's such an infamous Mm -hmm. iconic part of like his legacy uh and maybe he'll have to like chase somebody off planet to shoot him down and now like i'm second guessing myself but i don't think so i think that the story will be very firmly grounded in this space of like him taking on this role um 
in, in this like position in Tatooine, right? With so much of this episode, especially being about, I mentioned at the beginning, right? But this like rebirth out of the Sarlacc, this beginning of like his life after being Boba Fett, the badass bounty hunter. Now he's Boba Fett, the captive, like of the Tuscans. And now we're in like this third chapter of like, okay, he's got the armor back. What does that mean for like this final part of his life? And if it's only to like pick up and run off world, then I don't know what we're doing here in Tatooine or with these Tuscans. Raiders, because I don't like that kid. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we shall see. No matter what, we are in for plenty of sand as we are going to spend some time on Tatooine with Boba, both in the past and present. Uh, talking about the future next week, chapter two of the book of Boba Fett. Uh, much like Mando, no chapter titles released, I believe, until the episode airs. So we have nothing to go off of. But I'm going to assume we're following up at least in the present on the interrogation of one of these assassins in the past, maybe a bit more of Boba getting himself ingratiated into the Tusken Raider community. Either way, I had a fun time watching this episode, had even more of a fun time breaking it down with the two of you talking about what we enjoyed, what things may come, hopefully pod racing. So it's been very, very fun. Speaking of endings and beginnings, I know that you both have been wrapping up substantial coverage here on Post Show Recap. So uh, I'll defer to the two of you if you want to talk about what you're working on in the PSR atmosphere, as well as where can people check you out on social media. Latanya, let's start with you. Um, so we just got done. Uh, the podcast just went up yesterday, actually. Sunday was the last episode ever of the series Insecure, and um, it was very bittersweet, and there was lots to talk about, and there was tears, and there was laughter, and it was, you know almost three hour podcast about it um about a 41 minute episode of television um so hopefully people will check that out uh insecure um has its own um stream like on uh apple podcast so uh please feel free to go there um if you haven't had a chance to watch season five yet or any of it and you're just interested uh go check us out it's me uh mari fourth and Chappelle. And just a lot of really cool people along the way um, helping us out. So that was great. Um, my hosting duties are done for a while. Um, so uh, picking up next week, I'll be returning back to the land of uh, Dexter New Blood because it's time. It's just time. Um, <laughs> have to <laughs> have to come back uh, specifically to that one murderer. Um, and so Josh and I will be talking about some murders, it, which is always fun. Um, and I will be doing this podcast as well. I hope continually. <laughs> um, and yeah, not really sure aside from that, what else is up, but if you want to find out what I'm doing in the future or right now, you can follow me on Twitter at LK Starks and I'll talk about this show and that show and other shows and movies as well. That's right. If you want coverage of that show, Latanya yeah. will do it for you. <laughs> I'll do. I wanted this any... show. I wanted yeah. this show and that show. Yeah. Tweet yeah. me about this show or that show, and I'll talk about both of them. 
Wow, that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> Rich, what do you have going on with this show and that show? Uh, this show and that show. So Josh and I have been podcasting about the Wheel of Time here at Post Show Recaps. The finale aired um, just a few days ago. We did our final recap of that episode. Uh, I have a book club podcast coming later this week um, talking about episode eight. And then Josh and I will be doing a final kind of feedback show looking back at all of season one um, on the patron podcast feed. Adam Humphrey and I have been talking about the Netflix series Arcane um, based on the League of Legends, the video game. It's really, really good, you guys. Uh, that one's up on the Patreon feed. Adam and I are finishing our podcast, the last three episodes of that this week. So all kinds of things ending. Um, but you can catch me on Twitter. I'm at DM Philly. And uh, of course, uh, Twitch TV slash DM Philly. I'm streaming role playing games every week. Uh, the Wheel of Time season one has ended, but I'm just getting started as i'm firing up a wheel of time rpg later Whoa, in january what? at the end of january 2022 here i've got a pretty crack team of people assembled we're going to play the wheel of time rpg and build our own story there uh and then yeah much like star wars i stream DD in space uh, every like tuesday night i, I have the awesome Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition uh, game where we play in space and uh, I have a bunch of our friends here from post show recaps folks like uh, Grace Leader DJ Al Klein uh, uh, all kinds of good folks around these parts but yeah hit me up on Twitter at DM Philly you can find my stuff on Twitch on YouTube DM Philly pretty much everywhere and uh, that's about it yeah and of course you can follow me at a Mike Bloom type speaking of things wrapping up Josh Regler and I talked for eight hours about yes. the series finale of Lost. It was a wild experience. People are understandably just getting around to it this week. Uh, so if you have a third of the day you want to dedicate to talking about one of the most polarizing caps to mm -hmm. a series ever, we got into basically every single second of it. Yet, there's still more to talk about. Uh, Josh and I are doing a couple of miscellaneous Lost podcasts over the next couple of weeks. We have a feedback show. We have something covering the epilogue of Lost, as well as a couple of other hot ticket items, as it were. So still more Lost talk to come. The Witcher was invoked before. My wife, Angela, are still covering The Witcher. Uh, recently talked about episode two, talking episode three this coming week. Uh, talk about someone who certainly blooms from being someone more helpless into someone who becomes more badass as we talk about a lot of the fun stuff going on in the world of The Witcher. So if anything we described interests you and beyond... Stay tuned to Post Show Recaps. We also just opened up coverage of Cobra Kai and yes. Euphoria as well. So we really have like all the bases covered and then some, enough to fill an entire baseball stadium. So be sure to check it out. You can follow Post Show Recaps on Twitter as well at Post Show Recaps. Again, if you have feedback about the, uh, the book of Boba Fett that you want to send in either in response to this podcast, the episode you just watched, etc., Star Wars at PostShowRecaps.com, or you can write it in if you're at the this uh, $10 patron level in the Discord, uh, you get access to a special Star Wars universe-only channel, and you are able to post a lot about your thoughts in there. We've been having a fun time talking with our own little group about the Book of Boba Fett, and we will for the weeks and weeks to come as we now turn the clocks uh, on to 2022. Again, odd that this series is airing, you know, in the last few days of 2021, but I think we're all sort of hoping that uh, maybe we sort of crawl out of the sand as well. Uh, find ourselves maybe in a sort of proverbial sarlacc pit for the past 365 days. <laughs> Kill it with fire, as many would say. And now we are hopefully crawling our way out to maybe a scarier time, but a newer time that will help us become anew and give us a bunch of Gaddafi sticks to just whack at. 
Uh, so it should be a good time. Happy to talk more Book of Boba Fett in 2022. Again, subscribe to our Star Wars only feed, postalrecaps.com slash Star Wars. And many, many thanks to those of you that already have. And thank you to all of you who are listening, especially those of you that are new to this. Uh, we'll be back next week talking episode two of the book of boba fett i hope everyone has a happy new year we'll talk again in 2022 until then may the force be with you